All right, rolling into 27, the end of the Premier League is almost upon us. Barnburner, but title race coming down to it, but going to recap as usual all of the, I didn't really introduce this, BNBFC. You probably know who we are at this point if you've watched some of our episodes, but as usual, talking about some of the recent matches in the Premier League, previewing a massive midweek game this week between Manchester City and Arsenal, and then moving into stoppage time, the, the quick hits of sorts. Arsenal and Southampton, this is a really entertaining game to watch as a no, neutral. No, it wasn't. Yes. <laughs> was not entertaining to watch. You're sick. Um, I just want to say this. I mean, I've said this on a couple other episodes. Like, I'm an Edmonton fan in hockey, and it's just brutal to be me. Like, because it's so exciting because Arsenal's doing well, the Oilers are in the playoffs, and they're doing well. But last night in the playoffs, as we're recording, the Oilers went down 3 nothing in the first period. It's terrible, and then they came back and won in overtime, so they brought emotion. It's the same with Arsenal. You know, you come into an Arsenal game against Southampton, you're thinking, that's not necessarily going to be easy because Southampton's got a good away record. But really, when you're you're trying to challenge this, for the this league, is a, we're talking when, a team that you're challenging for the league, and this is pretty much the only team yeah. that almost is guaranteed to get relegated yeah. at this point. Southampton, it's just if it was Southampton and they were at home, it would be automatic win. There's just a little, but here's the thing: to go Ramsdale channeling his best David De Gea, playing out from the back, 27 seconds in. And then just going from there to the urgency, it wasn't until the 84th minute when you saw urgency in the team. And that's one of the criticisms of I have for Odegaard sometimes is, you know, he plays by example, you know, and you see it, but sometimes you need somebody. Like, I feel like that would never have happened if Jacko was on the pitch, but he wasn't, not because he would have played better, just because he would have gave people their head a shake. But it was awful, and it's basically made, and we'll preview the game on Wednesday in this episode, but. The title, it's like it's either City wins the title on Wednesday, or Arsenal could still lose the title later on. So, but uh, what did you think of that game as a neutral? Well, I think it, the concerning thing, both with this match and going back to the one at Anfield, we're seeing two different scenarios, but neither of which seem very healthy. Where you get up to a comfortable lead, and the other team comes back to draw it up, and 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 to be fair, the Arsenal lot. Liverpool at Anfield can do that. Could have done that to anybody on their day. And here we have the opposite scenario where Southampton has a comfortable lead and Arsenal comes roaring back. I think it's unhealthy for Arsenal, just in the sense that this is bottom of the table team. Just that you shouldn't ever be in the position where you're down three one and have to climb oh, out like that. But it also looks really bad in the sense that they 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 didn't turn it on like you said until the 80th minute. They could have probably won that game even if they turned it on 10 minutes earlier oh i agree there's no urgency um Vieira is a championship level midfielder okay it's awful that guy i don't know what's going on we miss we miss saliba desperately except i hope they start rob holding against city because rob holding versus holland not that rob holding's an excellent defender but he's just a big boy so Hopefully that will be mitigate some of the damage that's going to be done on Wednesday. But um, I don't know. It's just so deflating that we get three points from a possible nine on games that we should have 
should have gotten probably most of the points for. And now we have to play Newcastle, Chelsea, Brighton, and City. Brighton's on an easy game right no, now. They're all horrible. Chelsea, all horrible. Chelsea could show up. We don't know. Oh, they'll show up against Arsenal. That's just how it works. All of it sucks. Okay, all of it sucks. But let's move on to much happier things. Take your mind off things. Talking, knowing that first. someone's you out there first. worse than Arsenal. So North London is not white anymore. There were flashes of white when Tottenham Hotspur a few years ago. They were, and we've talked about this about. Tottenham's greatest achievement is just being better than Arsenal for a few years, not winning anything in between. But which they were probably from 2014 to 2019, 20. We're a better team, but they had nothing to show for it. And now, this to me, it almost looked like a changing of the guards. It's just like someone's coming into the top six and somebody's coming out. Watching Newcastle put five past Spurs in what was it, 20 minutes? Yes. It's awful. 18 minutes, it was 4 nothing. It's pathetic. And I, I'm so I'm so sick and tired. This is going to be a rant. I'm so sorry. I'm so sick and tired of people saying this is a top six side. The only thing top six about Tottenham is that they have a stadium and they have the brand exposure. And Harry, Harry Kane. Harry Kane is 0-71 in trophy chances. 71 opportunities to win a trophy. I heard they got mathematically eliminated. Yes. The Prem- I, I was really thinking they were going to come back and win. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then Daniel Levy goes, I think Harry Kane can can win a title or can win a trophy at, at Tottenham Hotspur. When? Like, you're going down. Like, this is how bad Dan Levy is out of touch. Like, I honestly, it's so bad, I feel bad for Tottenham fans. Because Daniel Levy goes... After they get rid of Conte, they gave his assistant manager the job like the football was going to change. It was identical. Same tactics, same... Oh, my God. It's just brutal. And then they sacked him after that. But the Spurs players should be ashamed, too. No desire. But here's the thing. Conte, Conte was right. These players have no ambition. They play for for a, a paycheck and nothing else. You know, when you go down... Um, Arsene Wenger once said, somebody said, oh, Tottenham, like the when you were saying that Tottenham was getting close, you know, they were starting to be better than Arsenal. Somebody said to Arsene Wenger, you know, Tottenham's, you know, closing the gap on you. They're getting really close. And Arsene Wenger said, uh, last time I checked, uh, Tottenham was uh, was one, one block and uh, 36 titles or whatever it was, 36 t- titles away. And uh, anyways... It's just one of those things that it's like it breeds players to not give a shit and fight. Like you look at the Real Madrid uh, camp, because I'm not going to use Arsenal as an example, even though they're very successful as far as their heritage. But Real Madrid players, they're always motivated because every time they're in their, their stadium and they're walking to the locker room, they see winners. They see championship and they go, I want to be in that trophy case. I want my picture there. They freaking start putting up Harry Kane's picture just because he participated, you know, he's got good individual achievements, but just because he participated in Tottenham and people go, oh man, I can get my picture up there just for participating. It's brutal. And Newcastle's not even that great offensively. They're solid defensively. You know, Larice was drunk again. I don't know if he was, oh my God, it's brutal. But anyways, you can go on. I'll jump back in, but let me get, you have an unbiased assessment 
I, I think it's worth kind of having a conversation. Where did, where is it all going wrong when we're talking about the blame? Game? Let's say there's three groups of people. We've Ownership. got players, we've got coaching staff, and then we've got owners. And, well, maybe even four, administration. So your director, football technical director, and then Dan Levy. Ranking those from one to four, four to one, however it may be, worst to least amount of blame deservedly. So for where Tottenham is, where do you put that? Oh, Daniel Levy's the problem, number one. Because it all all of this stuff, the the players, it's all caused from Tottenham, or from the top down. But if you're ranking them, uh, Daniel Levy's one. Um, I would say administration's probably four the least because they just have to do what Dan Levy says. So I don't want it. They're just trying to do their jobs. And then I would say players are, I can't remember the other one that you said, but players have to be, players have to be two, two or three. What was the other one that you said? I, I kind the of coach branched was... the staff off into two, like yeah, the okay. people that are directly working with the players and then the kind of recruitment yeah. side. So, so I would say, I would say the recruitment slash coaching staff and all that is two. And then players are three because Players need to have some self-respect and like actually play and, you know, like they're prof- professionals and they need to do better. But at the same time, it's the, it's the recruitment. Like you're recruiting these players that have no ambition, but also the, what, one of the worst part is, is the coaching staff. So is it not that they have no ambition? It's just that it's just so ingrained. It's, oh, it's yes. hard for them to break out of the, they go into a club whose culture yeah, is of no, losing. Absolutely. But that's why I put them at three because they're still professionals. They shouldn't matter. Like you'll see all these old soccer players or football players. And they'll say, you know, you shouldn't need to get motivated by your coaches and stuff. Obviously it helps and it's important, but I just think admin's a little bit less to blame, but I, I do think like coaching, like they bought a bunch of players and you have staff that choose not to play any of them, not to rotate. Like they got Jed Spence, didn't play him one minute. They got Richarlison, haven't played him at all, really. They got He's got three offside goals. <laughs> they got Dan Juma, haven't played him. They got Poro, they barely played. And they always do the same tactic. It's not working. It's it's just not. It's not the tactic that works. If you look all around the league, what works is playing out from the back, um, having a strong midfield having width in progression and you have to blame like you can have as great of players as you want but if you're not going to use your pieces correctly then it's not going to work so that's why i have to put the uh, players at three instead of two but it is dan levy's in like he has famous quotes saying i don't really care about winning and all that i just care about winning if it means my investment's going up you know what i mean so like he has no intention he just he just likes at the end of the year if he's profited which sucks for Tottenham fans, but it's it's amazing because Tottenham fans, like being a perpetual loser, I have no idea what that would be like, honestly. I kind of look at that. I find it hard just to, for me, the coaching staff sits at the least amount. And for the sole purpose, of, there's been no continuity. Because like, you, yeah. you can't look at them as being the problem when you've tried so many pieces and, and none of it's I just want to jump in worked. one sec, not an assessment. I just want to ask you a question. What's the difference? Because maybe I'll agree with you and change. But what's the difference between like what's your definition of admin like that when you were asking that portion of it? So for me, kind of the coaching staff. These are players that are working directly with the players. So your manager, assistant yeah. manager, coaches, fitness coaches, and then admin. I'm thinking your director of football, guys that are oh, looking no, at sorry, the tractors, technical director, the guys bringing in the staff. Oh no, I agree with you. 
Sorry. No. <laughs> Sorry. No, I agree. They're brutal. Anyways. And then Dan, Dan Levy is very much, because he's been around for, when you think of this. Yeah, he's been around forever. He's been there for almost 20 years. So he's the one constant Loser. in all of this. There's been a lot of players that have been around for a while. Harry Kane's been in the club for quite a while. Son's been at the club for quite a while. Larice has been at the club for quite a while. And I don't know who their director of football is, but I, on the whole, pretty much starting from when they sold Gareth Bale, who they brought in Tottenham's recruitment has been awful. Oh yeah, terrible. I just didn't know what you meant by uh, by admin, but no, that's one hundred percent true. But and I guess maybe it's the co- but I just with their coaching staff, like Conte makes no changes, so you have to have it at fault, but. And it's not as though they've stuck with one style. They've moved over all around the... Like, you have... When you look yeah. at Mourinho, Conte are at one side, and then Poch yeah. completely on the other. Poch came close, but, like, wasn't quite up to the level to, to get them over the line, whether that was his fault or... No, it's looking increasingly like his fault, seeing what his <laughs> tenure at PSG was like. But it's kind of interesting. Tottenham on the decline. Newcastle looking like... Breaking into the top six. I just want to say, I just, I'm going to say it to you, just, you know, this is an explicit podcast, but I saw a joke today where it was like the new sponsor of Tottenham Hotspur was an explicit adult website. (laughs) And it was just like Tottenham Hotspur knows how to take a pounding. (laughs) I'm just like, oh my God. But like, oh, it's, it's such a joy to see, but oh. So frustrating too, because I feel like I could run that club better, and that sounds really arrogant and ignorant. But but it just is unfortunate to see. Well, maybe fortunate when from your perspective, but just as a neutral to see see owners that don't care about the. Just this past weekend, we saw Rob McElhenney and and Ryan Reynolds. You see their embrace after Wrexham got from like that's the kind of ownership. Well, they went to the players and they were like, "God, you guys are amazing! What a great group they're involved." And, you know, we criticize a lot of those the clubs that have money. But Roman Abranovich in some ways escapes that because he was an owner that loved the club. Yeah. His, he didn't put money in with the hope of getting more money out. He put money in for the hope of winning, and he, he loved the club. So Daniel Levy's like, probably a really smart businessman, but man, oh, man, alive. And you think Tottenham was, you know, going to be joining the Super League my God, like, imagine how low the bar has to be. Like, if I was Austin Villa, I'd be pissed. Like, why are they in the Super League? Austin Villa is a bigger team than Spurs as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> anyway, that looks like we're almost halfway done our the time that our platform is giving us. So I just want to touch briefly. I know we normally talk about the Premier League, but United's involvement on Thursday in the Europa League got their ass handed to them by Sevilla, 3-0. So my shtick about United is that people were surprised by this result because United had been doing had been doing fairly well in the league. But I don't understand because there is I haven't seen one indication to give me hope when United are playing away from home against a team that's any better than average. You look at the results in the Premier League, anyone in the top half, I think they've lost all those games. So you cannot count on United ever win getting a result in an away game this year unless they're playing a, a really poor team away from home. Oh, I agree. But I don't I don't get what um United do because it's, I want to see them I want to see them play badly and lose. 
or I want to see them play good and lose. And I mean, that's happened where they've played good and they've lost, but playing bad, it just seems when Tottenham play bad, it's not that they were outperformed and they play, had a bad game. It's like they shoot themselves in the foot. Like it's just a, tr- if they play so bad, it's detrimental to their own scoreline. From- like David De Gea, he needs, to, I've been saying this for probably, I would say a year, at least almost two years. If I've been saying to Brian, me and Brian have talked and it's, Brian agrees that like you know or De Gea seems to every time there's a conversation for him to get out the door, he regains his form. But one of the things that I, I just think is if this team's gonna get better, it has to be without De Gea. Because he just does not bring the brand of football. Like he's one of the best shot stoppers of all time. Okay. He he could be the top ten shot stoppers of all time. Okay. Um but you can in this game playing out from the back, being good on your feet. That's the way goalkeepers are now. And you just can't be a, you can't be a keeper. That's just great standing on your line. He's not even good at penalties. It like he's great. I saw a stat. The Hayes has saved two out of the last 54. That's his. Oh my God. That he's actually saved. That doesn't count players that have missed because they didn't count the, the one this, this past weekend at Brighton. So it's, it's just one of those things that he, he has to lead. It's one of those, you know, club legends that, you know, he's still got it, but at the same time, you have to move on from them. You know, taking an extended contract with them, I think has hurt them even last year when he took that extension. So it's just too bad though, because they, like they should have won that game. And it just seems that they just shoot themselves in the foot for some reason. And you really look at Martinez as being a miss in the side. So. That's the thing. And seeing how Tottenham's United look like they could just about lose the rest of the games and still get fourth from how Tottenham's playing right now. Because it doesn't look overly comfortable with Lindelof's. I think Lindelof's a reasonable backup. I think he's capable of being a reasonable defender if he's got someone with him that can really communicate and kind of take control. He's kind of passive, but I I I think he's useful as a backup. And it's just sad that Shaw is our best center back right now. And considering Lindelof, Phil Jones, where's that man? Making over 100,000 pounds a week. Oh, my God. What a life. It's a beautiful life. I just want to say this, though, too, is that I think Lindelof, just going to touch on, on that, is I think he's a good backup, not just because he's like his skill level, but I actually find when United play Lindelof, it's usually in a time where it's like – um Kind of how Arteta was playing holding before everybody got injured is sometimes he played holding in a in a position where you're like, not in a different position, but it was almost like he was chosen for that game to like man mark somebody or for a certain purpose. And I think if you're, there's certain type of games that suits Lindelof, I think he does really well. Like he, there's a couple of games last year, I think it was, that he played almost as a right back. Kind of, and he did fairly well. He played on the outside there. Maybe it was a back three that were there playing. And he was actually not bad at the job. So I think if you really try to focus on what you would want him for, and that's what makes him a good backup. And I think he's the type of player that could work well. I think he's Ten Hag's type of player. I think, yeah. I think he's reasonably intelligent, reasonably good on the ball, reasonably versatile. Okay, let's get into it because my heart can't take it. I had to take my blood pressure pills early last night watching that Oilers game. But anyways, the um, we got the Arsenal City preview. And what's going to happen on Wednesday is if Arsenal win, 
there's a chance that Arsenal can win the title. And if Arsenal lose, the title is done. They might as well do the, the guard of honour in the next match. I get it's not mathematically, but if you look at Arsenal's schedule, we just talked about the next four games that Arsenal have. And realistically, Arsenal could get three points from those, you know, four games. I think they should get more than that, but it wouldn't be like if they went and beat Brighton and then they lose one nothing to Newcastle and then they lose um, to City. And what was the other game that they have to play against? Chelsea. Chelsea. Like they can, they should beat Chelsea. Like for me, they should get a minimum of six points from that. Or I would like them a minimum of seven. I think they should get a minimum of seven, but um, it could go really bad. So I just want to do, because we got, you know, 10 minutes, so not that much time, but the preview, it's a beautiful thing. You know, the underdogs that have stumbled and the juggernaut that just keeps on turning like clockwork. I want to see Rob holding against uh, Holland just to mitigate some damage. It's so terrible that Saliba won't be there, but um, Saka, he needs to get his shit together because he has been horrible. My prediction, 2 nothing, City. He's already preparing oh, himself. It's freaking terrible. For what he feels is the inevitable. I think I think at the very best it's 2-1. I don't know what it is. It's just Jack Grealish is on smoke right now, playing out of his mind. Holland, I just don't know who defends that guy. Um, De Bruyne is... Like, he played, like, crap for a large majority, and he was still, like, the best midfielder, creative midfielder. So it's like, I don't know what's going to happen. The boys need to bounce back. There is a chance of, like, having that, like, underdog whatever thing that you, in football manager, they talk about, but I don't believe it. Uh, and I, honestly, I'm just going to go into the preview as far as the, what lineup. But I think Arsenal's lineup, Arteta's going to go with a, with Ramsdale, and then he's going to go with, I think in this game you should go with um, Tierney, but I think he's going to go with um, Zinchenko, Gabriel, Holding, Ben White, and then Xhaka, Partey, Odegaard. And then I think he's going to go Martinelli. Um, I think he's going to go Martinelli, Jesus, Saka. That's what I think he's going to go. I think Pep... Is going to go his regular back four, Ake, um, John Beckenbauer Stones. I actually think he's going to do that too. And then I also think he's going to, Holland's going to be there, Grealish is going to be there, and Bernardo Silva is going to be there at the top. And then I think the midfields, Rodri, De Bruyne, and um, One of the things I just want to say is what I would have. Arteta do is everything I said that I think I'd rather have Tierney because of the Beckenbauer situation that I think is going to happen and Tierney can slot nicely into a extra center back type of thing but I would I would sit Saka and start um Trossard and the only reason has nothing to do with dumping all over Saka he's just not been in the best form and Trossard comes off the bench really well, but I would really like to see the heat map of Gabriel um, or Martinelli, Jesus, and Trossard be interchanging a lot 
And what happens with Saka is he mostly stays on the right and there's only interchanging on one side and they typically try to start it from the right. It's predictable. So just try to screw up cities because when city gets into a flow, it's over. So what do you think? I'm looking back at everything from this. So right now, Arsenal are five points ahead, having played two more games. Mm-hmm. So like you said, a win for Manchester city, it looks pretty much over a draw would put city one point ahead. If they win the two games in hand that, that they follow will. it. When they do. <laughs> so that makes it, which is still favorite for man or advantage Manchester city, I would say. But the, but the draw, if by, if for some reason Arsenal managed to win every single game after that, I think they've all five games after yeah. that. So if they managed to win those, they won't. If they did, just playing scenarios <laughs> here, if they if they get the draw at the anti had and they manage to win the five games afterwards, if City drops points even once in their last seven games they after won't. that, they won't. then then Arsenal would would still win the league and if City wins it's it's over. Tactically, it's pretty easy. Arteta has been relatively predictable, I yeah. think, and how he's he's went about his teams. Trossard's probably the only the Trossard is he's gonna slot into the front three there. But Arteta has really relied on Saka a lot. He rested him a couple days ago, which I don't know, or a couple match weeks ago, whether that was related to form or just the fact that this guy's played in the last 60, started 50-some, I think, Premier League games in a row, which is unbelievable for such a young guy. And then, I've I've criticized Pep a lot, but I absolutely love that defensive formation. They're pretty much playing with three. Like, it just, it just, it's just a big slap in the face for Cancelo, doesn't it, that he leaves and then Pep says, hold my beer. I'm going to figure out how to make a better team that doesn't even involve the conventional fullback. Yeah. So we're, we're seeing, and it could be almost, a, but here's the thing, if, if the Arsenal's front for your zigzag and you can't man mark, essentially, mm-hmm. with the three center backs that are three defenders that are staying back, for you can't really man mark. They can mark zonally. They're all reasonably competent defenders, and John Stone seems to fall back into their block. Mm-hmm. When 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 out of possession for for a while, so that'll be tough to break down. You're essentially defending against four center backs. I think Ake and Akanji are both center backs by trade. And those the only places you might be able to be if you can take them out wide. Maybe they're Ake and and Akanji aren't quite as used to defending out there as much. Akanji I think normally sits on the right hand side, so Martinelli Akanji will be a a battle. Ake's dead. Yeah, I don't. I don't care. Arsenal might lose, but Martinelli was gonna dance. Depends how. Here's the thing: Pep could have it because Pep. The, I think Pep gets the benefit of the doubt in some ways because people, a lot of people, think he's a genius and he and he is. He's an exceptionally knowledgeable guy, and he's got lots of trophies and wins to prove it. But I think he had an interview not long ago where he just kind of talked about how his team selection comes to him, and it's not exact. It's kind of an unorthodox style. It's just, approach to how he picks those teams so there's a chance he could do something completely different we saw the fa cup game not that that's really much of an indication against sheffield because they could have played and they could have played a whatever a one three four two or however just as long as you don't add up to 12 like todd bowley does when he tells you what formation to play so that'll be interesting 
But I do think City have to be favorites. Yeah. Arsenal have stumbled over the last, I think, the last three games. They've all yeah. drawn them. Do you have a Do you have a result? Three one. Okay. Well, okay. Let's get into this. This is going to be rapid fire for the stoppage time. Potch to Chelsea. Good idea. Absolutely not. Thank you. I don't think so either. Why? Why did they're going to let Enrique go to someone oh, else? I'm just... so happy. Idiots. My God. Guys, terrible. Okay, I'm just gonna run through them all. I'll just say them. How did Kepa make team team of the year nominees? But uh, De Gea didn't. De Gea's got most clean sheets in the league, but Kepa's just. The sad part is this didn't come out four months ago. This came out two weeks ago. Oh, it's ridiculous. Kepa's playing in a team that's tenth, eleventh place right now, and De Gea's. Yeah, well, could a front runner at this point probably to win the Golden Glove, yeah. considering United looks like they're going to keep a clean sheet at home just about whenever they play now. So, oh yeah, they're good defensively now. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. And uh, who's your on your team, United? Who's your player of the season? Probably Casemiro. I think okay, the consistency. Fair. Rashford has been great for portions of it, but over the over the whole period, Casemiro's been been there and been solid. I think Odegaard or Mar- Martinelli. I'm edging towards Martinelli because Martinelli's been pretty consistent in breaking out this year, and Odegaard's kind of had a dip. But at the same time, you have to respect Martinelli's game. All and, right. Well, we'll be back next weekend or next week potentially with Brett's tears well, getting on the be, microphone. You might hear them, oh or he'll be tears of joy. But we'll All catch right. you next week or on Friday. <laughs>